we've seen the deployment of tech and without talking to people. And you know what? Sometimes it doesn't work. And I understand the need for accelerating the smart cities agenda. That's great. And I'm all for it. But it leaves us with data and tech that we're not really using. And it just sort of builds up space. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves paying bills for no reason, essentially. So I think I'm a big believer in having a roadmap, having a strategy, and sharing this strategy with our local councils, our neighboring councils, our state governments, our authorities. I think what we'll find is a lot of different councils and a lot of different agencies have similar goals. So by sharing these strategies, I think we can come up with some sort of a consensus to be able to roll out smart cities everywhere. Hi, smart community friends. In this episode of the Smart Community Podcast, I have a great conversation with Chris Minoski. Chris is the Senior Coordinator for Place and Engagement at Cumberland City Council and proudly born and raised in Western Sydney. In this episode, we begin by Chris telling us about his background growing up in Western Sydney, his current role at Cumberland City Council, and his passion for making change for the better. Chris then tells us what inspired him to work in the social sector, as well as his love for tech and the smart city space. He also tells us what a smart community means to him and discusses what he believes makes smart community strategies and programs successful. Chris then tells us a bit about the Cumberland City Council Smart Cities journey, some of the projects he's been working on, as well as the changes he has seen in the space recently, before he discusses the key foundations required to enable smart furniture applications. We finish our chat discussing the emerging trends of business-to-business selling models through tech and open data. As always, we hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed making it. Welcome to the smart community, smart regions, smart towns, and smart cities. It's where we live, work, and play with smart communities. The future starts today. Big data, smart mobility, emerging trends galore. The Smart Community Podcast is what you're looking for. Hello, Chris. How are you today? Hey, Zoe. How are you going? I am very well. I'm very excited to have you on the podcast. We've been hanging around this space, you know, in and out of each other's kind of worlds for the last few years. So I'm excited to have you on the pod. Let's just jump straight in. Can you tell us about your background and what you're passionate about? Yeah, absolutely. Look, I, I love sharing the story about myself and you know, my journey in the smart city space. So just to start off with, I guess, um, so I'm Chris Monoski. I'm currently, I'm the Senior Coordinator of Place and Engagement at Cumberland City Council. A little bit about me. So I'm a local Western Sydney boy through and through, and I love sharing the story. Um, I grew up in Western Sydney. I went to both primary and high school uh, in Western Sydney. And Zoe, can you guess what university I went to? Western Sydney University. That's right. <laughs> Western Sydney University. So I was a student of the, the social sciences and that work always led me to being somewhere in the community sector. Uh, so for a number of years, I've worked in state government and the not-for-profit sector. And uh, basically, this was a lot with uh, a lot to do with the vulnerable communities. Um, I've then shifted over to local government and now I'm in my uh, sixth year of local government. And I must admit, I love it. I'm very passionate about making change for the better being better places, accessible places, better community, and especially well-designed cities. Um, And I personally get the most satisfaction when I take people through the changes from the beginning all the way through to the end. And I love seeing tangible outcomes that we all create as a community. I love that. Tangible outcomes really makes it worthwhile. You know, like I know some people love living in that strategy world, 
And that's awesome. And then, but actually being able to bring that through and um, what you were just saying there, seeing things actually happen on the ground is also really exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Now I'm looking at, I've been stalking your LinkedIn, of course, and since you're very passionate about youth and justice and, and those type of things, what really drew you into working in that social sector? Look, like my studies started suddenly off and it was very, it's a very, very weird story. So I didn't really know what, what I wanted to do when I finished high school and I thought, oh, criminology sounds pretty good. So I enrolled. I loved it. But as I sort of went through the space, I got offered opportunities to work with different sectors, but I've always been a bit of a tech head. And in all of my previous roles, even in the youth sector, the community sector, I've always thought about using technology and data to make things easier. This even included in my home life as well. I love the idea of using Siri and Google to make things a little bit easier in my smart home. <laughs> Fast forward a few years, uh, I was offered the opportunity to work in the innovation and smart city space um, in the previous council that I worked for. And during that time, I was responsible for pretty much taking the organization through uh, a journey of innovative changes and projects. And I was sold. It's what I wanted to do. And I saw myself sort of, sort of naturally excelling in that role. And when the opportunity uh, came, I was able to uh, dabble in a little bit of uh, business improvement, and I took that opportunity. And fast forward a few more years, here I am. <laughs> I'm still sold in the smart cities and smart places concept and what it can do for the community sector. And I'm a huge advocate for the space. And the best part of smart cities, I mean, it's multidisciplinary. It's what drew me in the most. It doesn't matter what space you come from. Like, look at myself. I come from the community sector. But when it comes to a smart community, your expertise and your subject matter experience has a place in the agenda. And that's what I really love. Mm, yeah, nice, nice. So what is a smart community to you? Look, it's, uh, for me, it's very basic. The idea of a smart city or a smart com community to me is just using digital technology, data, and innovation to enhance, uh, to enhance the outcomes of, I guess, livability and micro and local economy. But what I think uh, is important about that definition is that it starts with the co-designing uh, with a key stakeholder. And in my opinion, the key stakeholder is your, your average Joe. I definitely believe that in order for a smart community to work, uh, there needs to be at a minimum a strong community engagement and getting the feedback from those mums and dads who shop locally, the young student who you know uses the internet uh, to get information about when the next bus is coming at the bus stop, and most importantly, I think uh, seniors, who, in my opinion, are you know, the key stakeholders in the agenda, because those are the ones going through the toughest change of using technology in their day-to-day -day life. We often see, I guess, the deployment of tech and hardware without the feedback of the average Joe. And uh, I feel like sometimes that can be detrimental to the smart city's agenda. So I think it's really important that a smart community starts off with that feedback loop. Yeah, I think that's so important and, and thanks for bringing it up and particularly at the very beginning because it really leads nicely into what I was going to ask you next is like, I know you've done a lot of engagement and we will talk about the projects and things that you're, that you've been working on and have been working on, but let's go broad a little bit. I'm, you know, people are, often ask me and, and I want to hear it straight from someone who works in local government has worked in a couple of local governments now. What is that kind of key factor between whether we have a kind of and again, we know it's not a static moment and it's not, okay, now we're a smart community, we can rest easy at night, but it's a journey. But what are some of those things that you really saw that made, I guess, the program successful or the strategy successful or de even developing that strategy successful? And, and I'm leading into, I guess, that engagement piece for you was really important, but is there any other kind of really key lessons that you go, well, this is, this is what set us apart when we were doing this? Yeah, look. 
I think, so I read a piece a while ago saying that people are generally drawn to strong personalities and ideas, right? And I think that the smart cities and the smart places and even to the smart community agenda is one of those ideas, but it's not always guaranteed that people will be on board. So, you know, it's evident that you know, as technology and social functions evolve, uh, there's a colossal change piece that is required to ensure this positive change, right? So I think the concept is really important because, well, what, what we're doing differently is we're offering three key elements. The first being in context of people working within an organization, you know, we want to sensitize employees to innovation and the opportunities this brings. Secondly, I guess, motivate and inspire both employees and the community that we work with to engage in innovation alongside day-to-day business. Um, so that can be actively in the role of, a, of an innovator as a, as a staff member, or even having your, uh, your champions out in the local space to champion digital transformation. And I think finally, uh, it provides a community with uh, necessary information, tools, and skills to enable them to innovate and adapt. So I'm a big believer in having a roadmap um, and strategies that we co-design with the community. I think that's what um, we want to do differently. Like I said before, we've seen the deployment of tech and without talking to people. Uh, and, and you know what? Sometimes it, is, it doesn't work. And I understand the need for accelerating the smart cities agenda. Um, that's great. And I'm all for it. But it leaves us with, I guess, data and tech that we're not really using. And it just sort of builds up space. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves paying bills that, you know, f- for no reason, essentially. So I think I'm a big believer in having a roadmap, having a strategy, and sharing this strategy with our local councils, our neighboring councils, our, big, our state governments, our authorities. I think what we'll find is a lot of different councils and a lot of different agencies have similar goals. So by sharing these strategies, I think we can come up with some sort of a consensus to be able to roll out smart cities everywhere. Mm, yeah, and that's also such a great point too. It's this um, kind of regional approach, and I don't mean just regional as in remote, but regional in sense of you know Western Sydney and, and other places like that as well, which obviously has remote areas, but that kind of regional thinking. And, and I think and it's a concept of that consensus and moving that forward and then also that allows us to scale better right because you're not just buying one system over here one system over here whatever the case is we can actually go well actually we could all use this and we could all have our access and however we need that because we've all we've identified that as a pain point for everybody and again like you said we're facing similar challenges the context will be different there may be very specific things for very specific councils but Overall, we're trying to provide good service to the community, make sure people have access, that type of thing as well. And we're a lot of times suffering with very, very similar problems at different scales, but actually at the core, quite similar in nature. So, yeah, that's really important. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think sometimes, you know, local, local government, and look, I'm, I'm guilty of this as well, but sometimes I sort of fail to realise that we should be championing this uh, holistically. And I know sometimes we get caught up in the, we want to be the best, <laughs> but there's more more to the agenda than being the best. It's more about, like you said, scaling it to cities across Western Sydney, across New South Wales. And that's the, that's the way we should be pushing the agenda, I think. Yeah. And thinking about it in a little bit of a different way, because I think that's really key in thinking about Western Sydney, what I've started to notice, or, or actually a while ago, just having conversation with people on the podcast and, and different local councils in particular, 
there's this thinking about that region and then being able to scale, but then actually lessons learned, you might not necessarily go to your next door neighbor because you're, you know, you're already chatting with them. You might go, oh, actually, I want to talk to maybe Tea Tree Gully in South Australia because it's at a similar size or they've had a similar issue. And I think now this digital world has opened that up. I mean, that sounds like it's obvious, as in we could connect people digitally. But I think during the last couple of years, we, it's now even more acceptable that that's that same level of interaction. It's not like, oh, you know, you have to go and see somebody. Of course, we love doing that as well. But actually, you can now reach out and it's acceptable and it's normalized and we can access our local community and this global community. Because also maybe it's a maybe it's a town in the US or maybe it's a town in wherever is having that similar problem that you can have that dialogue with. And I think local government to local government or state or government to government is really, really important because you can have those open, honest conversations as well. And you understand at a really deep level all of the issues, not all of the issues, no one understands all of the issues, I'm sure, but those issues that are really specific to government. And I think that's really key. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I think you nailed it on the head when you said cities, even in the US and in Europe. I mean, one thing that I've seen is slowly Australia is taking a page out of the book from Europe and you know, implementing a lot of these things that they're doing overseas to our cities here locally, be it, you know, having an open street, uh, be deploying smart cities furniture, and we're slowly taking that approach. So if we can obviously have those conversations with those governing bodies, even if it is overseas, I think it'd be really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think sometimes, like you said, we get caught up in everything we're doing here. But when you allow people and empower people to think a bit differently and innovate, then they think, oh, you know, it's allowed, you're allowed to have those conversations and bring that information in. And I think for me, like that catalyst, like smart communities and having a strategy and having a roadmap is a catalyst then for innovation and thinking differently. And I, and I think even just the process of developing that strategy, I don't know if you found the same thing, but I have been going through that with um, some local governments. Just that process gets people to think differently, right? And so that's actually part of the magic as well. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely agree. Mm. So let's talk about some of the projects and things that you've been working on. What's your favourite and one, what's your favourite project or one that you like? And then keen to hear like the process you've gone through, you know, you've been in this space for a number of years now. So keen to hear how things have shifted and changed or what has stayed the same um, over the last couple of years. Yep, absolutely. So look, uh, Cumberland as a council has started a smart cities journey maybe a few years ago before I joined the council, and it's progressing quite well. I'm extremely extremely excited, I guess, to continue the work, and we've made some pretty amazing progress. So a few of the projects we're working on at the moment, so we're working with the New South Wales government to make parking availability in Granville live for residents to see, and that's just using the New South Wales Park and Pay app. So this was done using the installation of over 150 smart parking sensors, and we'll link that to open data platform, which we've then shared with state government to make that live. We're currently looking at extending some of that work with the New South Wales government to include additional parking sensors, but this time to pinpoint the availability of all of the council-owned disabled spots within the LGA and include that in the Park and Pay app, which I think is really important, going back to you know seniors and, and people with disabilities being a key stakeholder. And my personal favourite, and this is me being a little bit of a bias because I'm a placemaker. <laughs> so we're looking at the way we work with our spaces, our, our town centres and our, and our high streets to include uh, physical installation of smart cities furniture, whether it be a bench that charges your phone or a smart pole uh, with monitoring, people movement monitoring. 
that's what I'm really excited about. And Cumberland's slowly taking its, its journey to start that. And we're seeing it with, I guess, some of the projects in Maryland and Granville that we're progressing with. But yeah, that's my favourite. <laughs> mm. No, really cool. Um, I think like we've been talking about a lot of this stuff for a long time, but to see it being implemented and then what I get excited about is that then that's now data that's available and open data. And yes, okay, it's a parking app and now we can, and, and particularly that accessibility component, again, another thing that I, I also think is so important and making sure that we've got that input, but then also we we are talking to the community to make sure that they are they know that it's available and that they can access it and make it really easy to do so. But then also thinking about yeah putting that on the open data platform, but then what else can we do with that data? What other innovations could people come up with? What other things could the community then think, oh, I wonder if I could use it for this or come up with some other thing that, you know, I don't know, some exciting thing that might happen or something that might be quite mundane but actually solve a real problem. So I think that's really key. And then also showing that we are keen and we are wanting to work and that's, you know, moving forward in that space, we're not just stuck back here, then people want to bring their ideas forward more and more, I think, as well. Yeah. Look, you, you asked before about how what changes I've seen. And I think this is really important to address because there is a change in the agenda, right? So I'm seeing, I guess, a huge gravitational pull towards the concept of, of smart places. This has evolved from smart cities. And it's, I think it's really encouraging to see the transformation of, of uh, smart cities because it was a macro agenda, right? And now it's being scaled into the micro uh, under the labels of, of smart places or a smart community. Yeah, I see with, like I said before, with uh, many of the neighboring councils begun their smart places journey. And I guess the most exciting part of it is that it's not competitive, right? So the idea of sharing your data through digital twins or an open data platform it doesn't just create you know, a simplicity in sourcing information, but you know, it helps the residents see what's available for them. And for example, we can make things like finding a park much more easier. And of course, selfishly as a council worker, it allows us to make decisions for planning our cities and giving us more, more informed decisions of what our community needs and especially what they want as well. So those are the changes I've seen. And I, I, really, I really like the idea of, of going into micro smart community, smart places. It just makes it more scalable, in my opinion. Yeah, like hyper-focused, but then being able to scale broadly as well. And I think it's solving those problems that you, you have as a council or as a community. But then also what I've seen is council, like once you know, oh, actually I can get that data and it's easy and whatever, then you can think about more and more things. It's like this catalyst then for oh, if I can get that data, I wonder if I can get that data. I wonder if I can use that to make my decisions because we know that we're making decisions right now, but we're making them with the limited data that we have available. So we can make better decisions if we have more data. And I think, well, not necessarily more data, better data, the right type of data. And I think that's really important. And the other thing is, and, and you touched it there, like we've, we're not talking about necessarily data about the people and the, the individual people because most of the time, we don't actually need that level. We need that aggregated. And and I think when we talk about privacy and security and all those type of things, and you talked about Europe earlier, those things are going to become more and more important. And so as councils, we need to be addressing, or governments or people in the profession, addressing those now. And then really kind of digging into, well, what do I need to make a really good decision? And it's that aggregate effect and those pain points. 
And, you know, what's the community telling us is a problem, but then also what evidence do we have that maybe there's other problems that people aren't talking about because they may be only affecting a marginalised community but in a really big way but they haven't got their voice to the table yet or whatever the case is. So I think, yeah, all those points are really, really valid. And I think that shift that you were talking about, we're seeing more and more of that shift as well, that we're having those better, more mature conversations because now we were able to dig into it at that micro level. The question on that, like you're talking about smart furniture and those type of things. What are some of the key kind of foundations that you need to enable, you know, being able to connect and, you know, those applications, I suppose? Yeah, look, I think, so the key is infrastructure, right? That's the part where I guess a lot of local governments are sort of struggling with and having those, those places to include smart furniture, right? Because the way our city was designed, not just Cumberland, but I think in Western Sydney, there isn't space, <laughs> or if there is, it's very expensive, you know, and it's a common thing you hear a lot. People always complain about budget, and rightly so. I think the smart cities agenda or the smart you know, places agenda is not a cheap one, but I think what we need to do moving forward is work with you know, our open space people, work with our engineers and our planners, right, to integrate smart furniture as, an, as the new norm. And I think we're seeing that slowly. I know for a fact that we're, we're looking at it in Cumberland for, for Maryland's in our Civic Square, but that's an initiative we took as a council moving to move forward with our Smart Places agenda. And I think, you know, you touched on it before, there's places that are similar, similar in size that have done way more than we have, and it'll be good to see how they've done it. I always think infrastructure is going to be a, a a little bit of an issue that we need to tackle both as government, but working across disciplines and different industries as well. There's every day you look on the internet and search up for, for smart cities, tech and, and, and hardware and furniture, something new comes out. <laughs> so it'll be good to sort of uh, have a seat at the table with these organizations, these industries to figure out, hey, what's best for our city? How can we integrate it? And look at infrastructure. And it might be that we work with our local businesses to include infrastructure on their buildings. Uh, that's an approach that we've taken, but it's more about selling, I guess, like I said, selling the agenda, working with, uh, with our businesses and finding the correct infrastructure for our cities. Yeah, and what we need at this, you know, I mean, guess not just in this moment in time, but looking a little bit beyond the horizon. And sometimes, yeah, it, you, it might be once you take it back down to that, you know, what's the problem we're trying to solve and, and, and it may be different solutions for different areas even within one community or maybe different, you know, slightly different approaches for different areas in one community or one kind of area or city. But it also might be, yeah, like the same across. And, and I think it's a that engagement, as we talked about earlier, that engagement piece and the process of actually developing this is, is actually part of the whole, has to be part of the whole project because it's, it's shifting, it's changing. It's, it's not just business as usual. That's right. And that's what builds a foundation, doesn't it? You know, that being informed about what we need, right? And then working with our subject matter experts like our engineers and our, and our planners to get it up and running. There's only so much, I guess, a placemaker can do on his own or a community engagement officer can do on his own or an innovation officer can do on their own. But once everyone has a seat on the table, all of a sudden you get these great, uh, great projects. And that's one thing that I think Cumberland are doing differently is by getting everyone a seat at the table. And we don't want to just write a strategy for the you know, just point of writing one. We want to get it right. Mm, yeah, that's a really important point that you made, and you made it earlier, and I didn't quite pick it up. But it was that traditional approach. 
we know we build cities, right? We build communities. That's not a new thing that we're doing, but it's not just having smart over here and then business as usual over here. It's bringing those together and that's where the magic kind of happens. And bringing all those people to the table at the very beginning. And like you said, not writing a strategy in a silo so it can sit on a shelf somewhere to go, yes, we did that. Actually, what does that mean for design now? What does that mean for our you know, things that are already in the pipeline? Can we, do we need to update? Do we need to change? Do we need to make improvements? Whatever the case is. Because if you feed it in now, as we know, if you lay the cable, if the road's already open, it's much cheaper than going back and trying to dig it up again. Absolutely. And, and that can sort of be translated to, I mean, I know that a lot of local governments have their public domain plans, right? But I guarantee you that if you look at these public domain plans, there's very little smart tech in there, right? So if we had a seat at the table beforehand, we can plan with our public domain planners to integrate this as part of the new norm. Mm, mm, absolutely. And like you said earlier, it's multidisciplinary. It's not, you know, the tech person's not leading this. It's led by the community, right? Like that's why we're doing this. We're doing it to serve the community, but actually bring that smart approach to the foreground to them. And also, I think sometimes people might go, oh, smart tech, oh, you know, things are going to solve everything. Ah. But we need the foundational pieces, the basic, it's not even basic, but the traditional, the, the things that we've learned over years and years and years of planning, of engineering, of all those things, we're actually just building on top of that and shifting and, thing, and changing as things also progress because we know even standards aren't static, right? They shift and change as things improve and change as well. Yeah, absolutely. New tech comes available, um, not even digital tech, but simple innovations. But okay, well, thanks for sharing all that. That's really exciting. And I think, yeah, lots lots of stuff continuing to happen. So, uh, and I know like lots of stuff in New South Wales, but all over Australia and the world, we're, we're seeing things, we're, you know, breaking out of the last couple of years and hopefully into a headspace where we can really shift forward. So thinking about the future now, what are the emerging trends that people aren't talking about enough? This is a great question. I love it. So, look, one of the things that definitely definitely needs some you know, further exploration is the use of sophisticated tech and open data platforms to assist businesses in obtaining locally sourced and locally produced goods. So, part of my portfolio at Cumberland is economic development. So, that sits within my team. And one of the biggest pieces of feedback that we get is local businesses wanting to move into a B2B model, so businesses supplying business. And I think uh, open data platforms moving forward should look at these types of directories and these types of data sets. We recently ran a Small Business Month Expo, and we had our, our open data platform provider reach out and ask if that's something that we want to explore. And we definitely had a lot of interest from our business community. So I think, look, economic development and smart cities and smart places and smart communities is so intertwined, right? But I think the focus always goes on the hardware and the street furnitures and the smart poles, et cetera. No one really talks about what it can do for economic development in a micro context in small business, you know? And I know for a fact in, in our community in Cumberland, there's a lot of people who have interest in smart cities in smart places. And they want to sort of integrate their this tech uh, with their business as well. But the, the offer isn't quite there yet. And I think that's one of the trends that we definitely need to start talking about. And we need to listen to small business. Yeah, I know it's kind of over overused, but they are the backbone of our economy. And you know what? If we want the agenda to work, we need small businesses to get on board as well. And if they're looking for supplying business to business, that not only helps them as a small business, but it helps us as a, as a community to put a dollar back in, right? And 
Now, if we get two warehouses that are, you know, suburbs of parts to supply each other, it, it removes a lot of different issues that they might have in terms of, you know, getting shipping from overseas and whatnot. This can all be solved locally and it, it can all be included as part of our Smart Cities Open Data platforms uh, that we can, we can make available to these business owners. Mm, yeah, no, I love that. I've had um, uh, Fiona Barden on the podcast, who's from um, COFs, and, and again, she's from that economic development background, and, and she's a professional in that space. And so we had that conversation as well. And I think it's really, really important. And again, it'll be dependent on what the community needs, right? And then how we can develop that up. But yeah, it's not just that focus on the hardware, the, even even the software, but it's like, what can that then do for our communities moving forward? And I think uh, in the food space, actually, I'll, I'll introduce you to someone in Emily in Philadelphia because they were looking at similar things for supply chains. And again, so we can kind of learn from each other. It might not be exactly the same thing, but uh, they were looking at how locals could supply the like the publicly provided food rather than them having to ship it from wherever the case is, and particularly through this time of pandemic, but then also natural disasters as well. So really bulking up that you know, that supply chain uh, to make sure that it's more resilient in the future. Yeah, no, I think that'll be a great connection. And I think there's definitely a lot of conversations to have around that piece because, I mean, that can evolve from, you know, small business to business to um, locally supplying statewide and then, you know, obviously escalate and go more to, to on, on, a, on, a, on a bigger level. And then we can look at obviously shipping internationally. But um, I think it all starts locally. Yeah, I like that. I think that's another key point because, we all do things locally, like the different elements that we can take locally. So, you know, one area might be really good in this and they they might get, you know, that from just down the road because that's better soil or whatever the case is. And so it's actually about really lifting up our strengths at a local level and then thinking about those challenges that we can solve with that as well. Yeah, cool. I like that. I like that a lot. Well, Chris, it's been so great to chat with you. I really enjoyed this conversation. I'll let you know when I'm down in New South Wales again. I'm doing a lot of work down at the moment, all remotely. But yeah, I'll let you know when I'm down. But I really, yeah, I, I've i been watching you move around the space. So thanks for jumping on the pod with me today and having this conversation. No, I really, really appreciate you having me. And um, we're definitely due for a catch-up. And when you're in New South Wales, let me know. And um, I can show you around uh, lovely Cumberland as well. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, I just have one last question, which is how can people connect with you? Yeah, of course. Look, I'm always happy to connect with people, especially like-minded people. <laughs> um, so even if it's for a chat, you can find me on LinkedIn. You can just search uh, Christopher Monoski and by a quick search, it looks like I'm the only one. So there's only one of me on LinkedIn. <laughs> or if you want to connect with me directly in regards to smart cities or smart places at Cumberland City Council, just shoot me an email. It's uh, Christopher.Monoski at cumberland.nsw.gov.au. Perfect. We'll put all the links in the show notes so people can click away and find you. Thank you again for joining me on the podcast. Thank you so much, Zoe. Have a fantastic day. You too. Bye. Bye. The Smart Community Podcast is brought to you by My Smart Community. If you're trying to deal with disruption, not sure what technologies to buy, need to facilitate genuine collaboration, then we can help. Email hello at mysmart.community or head to www.mysmart.community forward slash consulting. Thanks so much for listening to the Smart Community Podcast. Show notes for this episode and all other episodes are available on our website, mysmart.community slash podcast. 
If you have any questions for us or any of our guests, you can email hello at mysmart.community. You can also find us on the socials. We are on LinkedIn and Twitter at SmartComHQ. That's com with two M's. If you are enjoying the podcast, please hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. And we would love for you to leave us a rating and review at wherever you listen. This really helps us reach more ears and eyes. So thank you for your support. As always, we hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed making it. The Smart Community Podcast is what you're looking for.